0: Hi, listeners. Jason here. We are excited to finally announce registrations for the biggest psych health and safety community event ever. The inaugural the Psych Health and Safety Conference will be held at the Sofitel Wentworth Sydney, June 19 to 20, 2024, and offer concurrent virtual attendance. It'll feature live podcast recordings with OG researchers, including Christina Maslach and Michael Leiter of Burnout Fame, Psych Health and Safety USA podcast host I. David Daniels. Australian super-experts, including the likes of David Burrows, a special 10-year anniversary integrated approaches to workplace mental health panel with authors Tony LaMontagne, Angela Martin and Cat Page, hand-picked case studies from organisations doing it well, and a very special interview with plaintiff Zaggy Kozarov by Catherine Donlop on that High Court case which we previously covered on the podcast. This event will sell out. Get in quick to secure tickets at early bird prices for the two-day conference, pre-conference masterclasses, and the VIP dinner. The first two hundred in-person registrations also get a copy of her latest book, The Burnout Challenge, signed by Christina Maslach herself. Find out more and register at www.psychhealthandsafetyconference.com. Now on to this episode.
1: From Flourish DX, this is the Psych, Health and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada.
2: Thank you for joining the Psych, Health and Safety Podcast Canada. My name's Ian Lewis and I'm guest host in for Kim McDonald and joining me today is Sandra Mole. Welcome Sandra to the podcast. Lovely to meet you. Yeah. So thanks so much for joining me. I um, have been following your work for a couple of years. We're both occupational therapists, but maybe introduce the listeners to um, who you are, what you've been researching, maybe how you got where you are.
1: Sure. Um it's been a long journey. I've been an occupational therapist for over 30 years and really my passion is around mental health. So how do we promote mental health and well-being um, for individuals at the workplace, at home, in the community? And I guess I'm currently now a full professor in the School of Rehab Science at McMaster University.
2: Wow and so um, I've gotten to know you over the years through reading journal journal articles and whatnot. And I was actually really, really surprised to learn that you were an occupational therapist when I started following some of your work with Highmark. And so you have quite a bit of work that you do with um, healthcare personnel, soldiers, um, all sorts of folks. So I guess in your area of mental health, what is your your interests? And maybe maybe there's like 15 of them, but... <laughs>
1: Well, I'll say that um, my early work—I worked as a clinician for about a decade and a bit um, in community and mental health settings—and then back in, I would say, early 2000, I went back to school to do my PhD, and I was very interested in workplace mental health at the time. And it was a really, I would say, interesting time in that, in that that early 2000, there was a real paradigm shift. We want to dive into the workplace mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a real paradigm shift around employers and thinking about mental health in the workplace. So at that time I would say there's very much a, a this idea that you know your own personal mental health issues were a private thing it wasn't something employers were thinking about and When I was doing my PhD, I reached out to a number of people in the field, got to meet Bill Wilkerson, who was doing this work at the the roundtable. And he was really um, getting employers at high-level companies, CEOs together, to really create the business case, I would say, that we need to think about mental health in the workplace. And so I got to be a fly on the wall at many of those meetings and see this shift happening. Um, And so I would say in the last two decades, there's been a shift In the workplace, but in general, around people talking about mental health more openly, thinking about how this is important. And as an occupational therapist, I think we have a really important role to play in that dialogue, in that discussion and movement, I think, towards supporting people with mental health issues.
2: Interesting. So, um, yeah, when we talk about history. So I'm maybe reaping some of the rewards of your early efforts. I sit on the Technical Committee for the National Standard of Canada for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace which had its birth back in the round table.
1: Ah, interesting. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so the workplace mental health um, dialogue has really changed from being this. We have individuals with mental health problems in our workplace. What are we doing to support them to much more down the prevention track? And the uh, World Health World Health Organization came out with their policy brief on mental health a couple of years ago and talks about that the workplace has to engage in PPPS. So prevent exposures to psychological injuries or things that would cause psychological injuries, hazards, um, promote good mental health and protect those who are at risk and then to down the road, support those who are having problems. So it's very become very holistic. Um, So I guess when you look at workplace mental health, um, what do you think of as workplace mental health? You talked about that kind of very early individual focus, but now when you start to think about workplace mental health, what do you think about?
1: Yeah, it's a a good question. I I think there is this gamut, right? We talk about primary, secondary and tertiary prevention, right? So where do you start? And I think it's tough for employers. I, I think there's been a lot of focus around, you know, when people are off work, Trying to get people back and reintegrated into the workplace, so that's a that's a big focus. Um, I think there is um, the secondary piece around how do you um, promote earlier intervention and support because if you um, support people early, it can prevent problems down the road. And then there's this upstream primary prevention about how do we generally build workplace wellness to prevent problems in the first place. So I think there's it, it's tough for employers to know to where to invest their um, their limited perhaps dollars to support people and I think we need to think about all pieces of that continuum um, to really um, think about yeah you're right this holistic workplace wellness initiative is is really important a lot of my work has been in the upstream um, thinking about that earlier intervention and support Um, but again all of those spaces are important
2: so, when you talk about earlier upstream prevention and support, where has some of your research been then?
1: So, for me, where I started was with healthcare workers. So, I'm a healthcare worker myself. Um, my PhD work was really looking at healthcare workers in. Um, I actually, it was in a, a case study site in a large mental health organization that was really about supporting. Um, conversations and reducing the stigma of mental health. And when I spoke to healthcare workers, there was this real um, disconnect between the stigma and reducing that for clients versus if you were a staff person um, with mental health issues and some of the the stigma and silence around that. And so my PhD work was looking at how silences are produced and reproduced um, in workplaces and how do we think about better supporting um, people and doing that upstream work. Because in healthcare, for example, there's a long lag time between the onset of symptoms and people seeking help. So often what happens is people get to the point of crisis and then they go off work. Maybe there's been fractured relationships in the workplace. So that's what sort of spurred me on to really think about how do we move the bar earlier so we can, um, not have people wait um, too long to get the help that they need.
2: So when you're talking about that lag, what would that lag time be? Would it be weeks, months, years?
1: Yes. Any of those. Yeah. And, and again, mental health issues are often insidious, right? You may not recognize when they're happening. It may be people around you actually that recognize it before you do. And so some of our work has really been for colleagues to um, start that conversation. How do we open that conversation with someone Um, if we notice that their behavior has changed or um, and then how do we open that conversation to get people to start to think about, hey, maybe I need to do something different.
2: Right. So is that kind of like encouraging people? You're sitting down around the water cooler at the lunchroom table and hey, there's no one around right now. Hey, you know, you're not yourself, you know, like you're pretty happy, bubbly outgoing and Hey, something's different. Are you talking about conversations like that?
1: Yeah. Are you okay? Um, There's a whole campaign in Australia that's called, Are You Okay? Um, Mm -hmm. So how to open that conversation and be comfortable opening that conversation with people.
2: Yeah. Interesting. All right. So your current projects then, I attended a webinar a couple weeks ago. You're talking about some apps, you're involved in research. Uh, Can you maybe describe your, your current research then?
1: Yes, so I sort of fell into this a little bit. For the last uh, five or six years, we've been um, moving into mobile health technology. So I mentioned when I did my PhD work, there was a lot of stigma and silence. And when I finished that work, I was trying to think of how do we move beyond the silence. So that started this program of research called Beyond Silence, um, where we started thinking about healthcare workers and how do we build tools and resources in the workplace to promote that earlier intervention and support. So, we started by doing um, workplace mental health training. And then we had this opportunity to apply for this grant. It was through CIHR. And it was a, I said, no one's going to apply for this because you had to apply. And, and it was, you had to say an idea, but you couldn't say what it is you were going to do. And so, we, I got this Catalyst grant and they um, put me into a hackathon. And I don't know if you know what a hackathon is, but a hackathon, we, I um, went to Toronto, we're in this convention center, we're in this e-mental health um, space, and we're sort of this fishbowl. And they, they put me um, with um, UX designers and developers and students, and we spent two days building a prototype for how we might address mental health issues um, for healthcare workers. And that's where Beyond Silence was born. We we drafted out a prototype. I had to pitch it as part of this. They had, um, it was fantastic. They had gender experts and they had tech experts and we could draw upon that in this very intense two day experience. So that's where um, Beyond Silence was born. We won the Hacking Health Award or something, I think. And um, there was a company that said, hey, I'll partner with you to help to build this this prototype.
2: Yeah, wow. Okay, so you get your healthcare brain, throw you into a tech environment, and then you got people around you to help make it all happen. Like that—that's a dream come true.
1: It was really exciting, actually. Um, And this idea of a hackathon—it often um, ideas in this intense space are born, right? You spend two full days together. You're mapping things out. It was really, um, yeah, really exciting.
2: So, how does the app work then? Like, like paint people sort of a picture of this.
1: Sure. So there's actually two projects. So I'll start with Beyond Silence because that's okay. where I started. So yeah. um, Beyond Silence, the the app itself um, is does three things. I would say um, one is it the it's a mobile health platform. So one is it, sh- it gives you information. So we built content by and for healthcare workers. So there's uh, it's a place to get information about moral injury, burnout. Um, managing shift work, so all kind of bullying in the workplace. So there's all kinds of content that's evidence-based related specifically to healthcare workers. There's podcasts, infographics, um, videos, that kind of thing. So that's one piece. The second piece is that there's some self-management tools. So there's like a wellness toolbox. There's a a way to manage your, um, monitor your wellness over time. There's an action plan, goal setting, And then the third piece that we built is a link to peer support. So in the app, you can um, choose who you want to reach out to. So there's, you can, I call it Tinder for healthcare workers. So there's like bios. We've trained um, about 50 healthcare workers across Canada um, with varying backgrounds that are available from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. EST seven days a week. And basically you can... Um, choose to connect by phone or by text. You can, it's anonymous, it's private, and you can choose the person you want to reach out to and just click and make an appointment. So the idea is to reduce barriers to getting help. So I think one of our peer supporters says, Help is a click away. So if you're having a bad day or you just need to vent, you can just kind of go into the app and say, Hey, I'd really like to talk to Ian. Um, I think he, he, Sort of something I can relate to with him, and I I can just click that and, and make an appointment, and then just t- talk or text. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, and so it's both a health you know health information app, but it's it's the big connector and um, connecting people. I love the you know the idea. Hey, it's Tinder for um, healthcare providers, people seeking mental health support. So, as the app is developed, um, how are people using it?
1: So, over the last. Um, two years, we ha- were, you remember I talked about that prototype that we developed in the hackathon and we had a prototype that was um, ready to ready to go, I guess, um, when COVID hit and then uh, we didn't have any money um, left to, to um So we actually started writing grants. We got really fantastic funding from the Public Health Agency of Canada to do a two-year version 2.0 of Beyond Silence. And so for the last two years, we've been doing implementation research. So we've been um, working with, I think, about eight healthcare organizations across Canada, small, mid-sized, large, to start to understand how people take up and use the app. So it's one thing to build an app. It's another thing to get people to use it. So we have been studying... Um, strategies and implementation um, contexts to understand um, uptake and adoption rates and how people are using the app in different kinds of organizations.
0: Right.
2: Because I think that's one of the age old problems of uh, organizational research is that we have something that we know should work. So peer support should work. But how we implement it in an organization and how it gets rolled out, how accessible it is, whether or not leadership supports it, etc., all those factors can really sink the boat of a great intervention. Um, so if we maybe just look at the the intervention itself or just looking at the idea of peer support, um, how, how like does peer support actually work? Or is it something that we're just sort of thinking like, hey, it, it ought to work just like EAP. It should work. Like, does it work?
1: So peer support is not new, right? We all, I mean, what I say is workplaces are social spaces. We know that um, the people that we work with can make or break our jobs, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's um, managers or your colleagues or the people you're serving. Um, So this idea of thinking about peer support is really important. In some workplaces, there may be natural peer supports. So you may be in a place where you really like the people you're working with, there's lots of support, there's time to debrief or talk through issues. In lots of workplaces, there that may not be there. There may not be the time and the space to debrief. Um, You may feel really isolated. There may be tensions in the workplace, there may be incivility. And so in those situations, what you want is to give people options to reach out. And so the idea of tech or app-based peer support is actually fairly new, or this idea of formal peer support. So that you know, getting people to think about, I could, if I if I can't reach to my colleague, I could reach out to a colleague through this app is a fairly new idea, and that you would go in and do that. So. Um, my other project is with the first responder or public safety personnel community, where peer support is much more well-established, I would say. In healthcare, it's this idea of formal peer support is fairly new. So it's really trying to get people's heads around, yeah, hey, I could do this. I could reach out to peer support, and this is how I could do it. And, and again, thinking about technology as a tool to facilitate that for people who want to connect anonymously. Um, maybe outside of work hours to peer support. And yes, it works. How do you know it works? So part of what we're doing is being able to track um, people's peer support encounters. So in the app itself, one of the things that we built is Once you've had a peer support encounter, there's a pop-up on your phone um, that will ask people to say, how how did you feel before? How did you feel after? Is there any feedback? So really trying to systematically, I think, track um, feedback to peer support and how do people use that? Because I think there's a lot of uh, maybe assumptions out there. And what we need is more evidence, I think, to be able to understand and document how people are taking up. What kinds of things do people reach out for? What kind of supports do people need? How does peer support fit in a stepped model of care? So it's one approach. Sometimes people need more than peer support. Sometimes they need um, counselling. And so maybe peer support is your first line. You have this conversation that, you know, maybe your peer says, you know what, I think probably you'd benefit from talking to a counsellor and this is what it could be and how I can help to facilitate that referral. So really thinking about in this model of care, what is the, the right service at the right place at the right time? And so app-based peer support can be that entry point for some people.
2: Right. And I've always thought about that. Um, primary care is the right service at the right time um, by the right mix of um, healthcare professionals. In this case, of course, a healthcare professional is not what's needed, and yeah, the idea of a stepped model of care. Um, I love the idea of app access because um, when I first started thinking about peer support a couple of years ago, is in the context usually of a first responder organization, and if a, a paramedic service or something like that wasn't big enough to have a peer support system, or they they had some sort of informal SISM, you know, critical instant stress management, you know, program that was really different. Like you wouldn't go to the SISM group to talk about workplace bullying. Um, You wouldn't go there to talk to them about the problems in shift work. Um, And you had to talk to someone in your own service. And so I, I can see this kind of going both ways. Like a lot of the research around social support has been, you know, questions in the Copenhagen psychosocial survey or the job content questionnaire about, you know, do people at work take a personal interest in me or things like that? And that's where a lot of our research on social support is. But looking at it in the workplace, it's like, well, maybe I don't want to talk to someone from my own organization, but I want to talk with another nurse. I want to talk with someone else who understands the healthcare system because I think a lot of our strain in the healthcare system is universal, it's not limited to one particular site. Uh, like one hospital or something like that. So the idea of reaching out anonymously to a peer supporter who is trained, but they're, they're a peer, they're, they're a healthcare worker. Um, they understand. Um, so I, I can see it going both ways. It's great to have a relationship locally, but to be able to access this other relationship, um, which is even more accessible than EAP. Um, I know EAP, right? There, There's a number, you make an appointment, but this is like, Next day appointments—is that kind of the thing? Like,
1: yeah. So, what you what you want to build is choice. So, you know that. So, for Beyond Silence, and I'll talk about peer on call in a moment, but for Beyond Silence, for healthcare workers, we actually train internal as well as external. So there's there's a choice that you could reach out to someone internally in your organization or someone external. And in the in the Beyond Silence app, we've trained people that would that take shifts, I guess. Um, and so you can choose. So there's always someone available in the next 90 minutes, or if you want to screen, like say, I want to talk to, um, someone who speaks French or someone, um, who I want to speak to a woman or a man or someone non-binary that there's, you can screen, um, by, you can filter out different criteria. And so that's a little bit of trying to create choice for people about what they're comfortable, um, how they're comfortable and who they're comfortable reaching out to. So you're right. Maybe you want someone internal, or maybe you want someone external. That's a little bit of what we're trying to understand.
2: Right. Okay. And so, thinking about the the intervention itself, not necessarily how it's implemented. So peer support works, and it works by offering that support, referring to resources. Um, like, how much counseling training do these people have? Like, some of our listeners, um, you know, have this phobia. Like, you know what? You're going to expect people to like be counselors? Like how much, like, what are these folks trained in? Are they mental health first aiders? Like,
1: yeah, it's a good question. So it, for healthcare workers, some of them do have counseling training. So we actually do, um, two full days of training, for all the peer supporters who provide support in the app. And some of it is you are not a counselor. So a big piece of the training is about boundaries. Um, this is what a peer does. You're non-judgmental, listening, validation, maybe linking it. You could do a mindfulness exercise, but it is not counseling. Mm-hmm. So a big piece of that is really understanding that role. So if you just need someone to listen, to validate, not do counseling, that's what peer support is. If you want to do counseling, then they can help you link to other kinds of counselors. So that's super important to think about the difference, I guess, between counseling um, or psychotherapy versus peer support.
2: Right. Okay.
1: And it's someone who understands, right? That it, I think you talked about that. Someone who gets the workplace context that's very unique that you're in. Healthcare is very unique. And sometimes maybe your family doesn't understand or your friends don't understand. A peer will understand that. You don't have to explain that mm-hmm. and understand that intuitively right away. Um, in the first responder community, the same thing. That's why it's such an important um, strategy for first responders because, again, a police officer or a correctional worker has a very unique workplace context. So being able to connect to a peer who understands that intuitively is really, really important.
2: Okay. Yeah. So peer on call then is is another app. Um, is it <laughs> same different? Like how does it work?
1: Yeah. So interesting. So I I started with beyond silence and then, you know, because <laughs> it was easy to build an app, no, um, we had this opportunity um, to do something for the first responder community, or I'm going to use the word public safety personnel. So that's the term used in Canada. So that is um, includes um, emergency communicators, correctional workers, paramedics, police, uh, border services, uh, firefighters. So it's a large group. Yes. And so we had this opportunity to, I actually started by doing co-design work. I had a catalyst grant to do some co-design work. So we went around to the different, um, you know, jails and police stations and fire organizations, paramedics. Um, and we listened to people and did a co-design process. So, you know, what are your pain points um, as a public safety provider? And if we were to design something, what do you want that to look like? So we did these storyboarding um yeah. Sessions about what would happen in the app, okay. what kind of content you want. Um, we kind of did that mapping. And then I was asked by a larger group. So there's a national group at the time. So SIPCERT, um, RCMP, Defence Canada, they were also doing something similar. So we joined forces together and we... Um, built again this prototype um so the peer on call app is actually the same source code as beyond silence but it is customized for the public safety community so all the content there's a lot of peer wisdom videos all of the content is for by and for the public safety community so that the interface looks similar but there's definitely some differences
2: okay right and so you, you brought up a couple of really important points there in, in co-design um zooming out this is an intervention and it wasn't that you in an ivory tower thought that this is exactly what public safety personnel need as an occupational therapist i must know best and so uh, you 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 co-designed it and you created something that another public safety personnel um, should recognize and say hey these are my people
1: yeah so it And again, it's not a one-time thing, it's an iterative thing. So we talk about user-centred design as a best practice for mobile health development. And it means kind of listening, um, understanding, going back um, at many times in the community. So again, we've spent the last year with this prototype and listening. What do you like? Um, Did we build it the way you wanted it to? What kind of features do we need now? Really understanding the unique context of different kinds of workplaces. And does this technology, how does it fit with what you need and want. Where does it meet the the maybe gaps in the existing um, system for the public safety community? So this idea of listening and going back in this iterative development process is really critical.
0: Do you need more psych health and safety in your life? Then head over to the FlourishDX Academy for several free on-demand e-learning courses. If you're an internal professional, follow FlourishDX on Eventbrite to register for any of our free fortnightly interactive webinars. Our flagship professional practice program is also exclusively available for internal professionals. The 12-week course blends theory, applied practice, and interaction with other professionals through live lectures and a monthly community of practice session. Find out more about all these learning opportunities or inquire about a bespoke in-house training at the Flourish Academy, www.45003.org. Now, back to this episode. Great. Right, okay. And so
2: on the um, how this is happening, um, I guess you're paying attention, you're doing intervention research and intervention research is paying attention to what works when for people and what factors influence uptake and use. And so you're both looking at what does peer support do, like how does it work, but then what in what environments did it flourish and was there lots of uptake and things like
1: that? We talk about what works for whom in what context. So very messy. It's not does it work or not, yeah. but when does it work and for whom and what context, how does that look? So it's it's really trying to unpack, I think, the complexities of what re- in real life, in real world situations, how does this fit?
2: Right. Okay. Any early findings you can share?
1: Wow. It's, it's big. Um, so, yeah, I think... One of the things that's very clear is that there's an absolute need. So healthcare care system is in crisis right now. We need to do something. Um, we do need to do lots of things to better support um, healthcare providers. They are struggling in many, many ways. We need to build a range of tools and supports. The public safety community is, is different, but they also experience lots of stressors, lots of challenges. COVID hit people in different ways. Um, so there's an absolute need. Um, to build workplace mental health resources. Mm -hmm. And there's an absolute need, I think, when it comes to mental health care, to make it easy and accessible, contextually relevant, evidence-based resources. There's an absolute critical need. Mobile health technology, um, everyone knows how to use a smartphone. Um, We're we're now, I mean, one of the things that COVID did is we're now more tech savvy. We also are more mental health savvy. I think people are talking about mental health in a way that we weren't before. So all of those things are really opening doors for thinking about mobile health technology that can enable people to access mental health supports. There are some barriers, I would say, um, in the system. I think there's still, for both Public safety and healthcare workers—they are really good at looking after other people, not so good at looking after themselves. You know, there's this bit of, like, you know, suck it up and, you know, kind of soldier on. That's a little bit of the, the modus operandi, I think, for you know some of these um, communities. And so, really starting to get people more aware that hey, maybe I should reach out. Um, how can I do that? So, and then people are skeptical, I think, of new of technology and you know, is it really anonymous? Is it really private? So really thinking about messaging um, to get people to trust and and try something new. Um, So uptake has been varied. It's anywhere between three to 5% to 50% of organizations. And it very much is um, dependent on, I think, how the messaging happens, who, um, with whom, and it takes time. Um, for people to get used to that idea. So again, it's quite diverse in terms of the different organizations and the different contexts. And that's a little bit what we're trying to understand.
2: Right. Okay. So for, you know, people who aren't necessarily acquainted with all the research and whatnot, I think everyone understands that public safety personnel um, have a really hard job. Um, For myself, I think back, you know, probably six, eight, ten years ago, Um, PTSD and uh, police member and military member suicide really hit the public radar. And uh, Nick Carlton and his group at CIPCert had published uh, in the Canadian Journal of Psychiatry, I think in 2018, uh, a survey that showed between 40 and 50 percent of public safety personnel um, scored positive on at least one screening assessment indicating potential mental health problems. And so I think people are sort of familiar and I think people are seeing that public safety personnel does involve you know, your, your 911 emergency dispatchers, it does involve corrections and there's there's super high rates of problems. Um, healthcare workers, not so much. We hear about people being burnt out. Um, I guess if maybe to help listeners understand, what are some of the things that healthcare workers or public safety personnel are experiencing that really Drive the urgency behind this because you say it's it's incredibly important to make mental health care accessible. Uh, mental health care should not just be a psychologist in a couch or an occupational therapist with someone in crisis, right? We got to we got to get supports way earlier. But what's driving that big need for support for people that maybe aren't intimately involved with that or don't have a a healthcare member of their family?
1: Yeah, so I can. It- they're slightly different in the two areas. So I'll start with healthcare workers because that's where I started. So this is a group that's at the front line of caring for people who are struggling. And so there's always been challenges in that role. When COVID hit, it created a series of crises, I would say, in the system. So if we think back at the beginning of COVID, remember those early days, there was incredible uncertainty Yes. Um, About the unknown but deadly virus. There was shortage of personal protective equipment or PPE. Um, When it finally came in, there was all these time consuming rituals for donning and doffing PPE. Um, It was very physically and emotionally draining to work all day with all these levels of protective equipment. It also um, was really an isolating time for healthcare workers. So they were afraid of going home, bringing the virus to their friends and family. So they were also isolated at the time. They healthcare workers. One thing I know about them is they want to give good care, and they were really struck because there wasn't really we didn't know how to um, treat COVID. Many people died. There's really um, heartbreaking stories. I would say of. You know, I remember reading the front page of the newspaper and there was a guy who worked in a long-term care facility and he was hired to play cards with the residents. That's what his job. And then and then COVID shut everything down and his job became carrying people out in body bags. Because he, oh he was this big guy and and he was traumatized. So these are really traumatic um, times for lots of healthcare workers. And we talk about moral injury um, so you know, you want to provide good care. this is what you want, you want to connect with people. and yet we were isolated and not providing the care we wanted. So there was this real, Um, significant challenge that people are still struggling with I would say and you know when I talk to healthcare staff now they're like said COVID's not gone but they're expected to kind of you know bounce back and you know we didn't have time to grieve we didn't have time to regroup or regenerate so I think this is a group that is um I think been injured um in lots of ways that are trying to move on. And so there's incredible, um, people have left the profession. What that means is there's the people that are remaining are working harder than ever. There's high workloads, high stress. So that's healthcare. And I think you just can read the paper and you can see the challenges in the system right now. And there's many, so that's healthcare.
2: But, but was healthcare absolutely fine before COVID hit? Like is COVID the only problem in healthcare?
1: Definitely not. I think there was all kinds of challenges, but, but right now we're in a point where it's, I think, really um, revealed some of the cracks in the system and the cracks are now fissures, right? Um, that, you know, we are really trying to figure out how to fill. Um, and again, these are complex systems issues, but, you know, there, there are certainly people on the ground that are um, trying to do the best they can, I think, with incredible workload pressures. Do you want me to talk about public safety?
2: Sure, yeah. yeah. Give give the listeners a view into that world.
1: Yeah, so again, I'm not a public safety um, personnel provider, but I've done lots of listening um, to that community. And again, they're quite different, potentially stressors, depending on that um, particular group you're with. So I was just talking um, yesterday to someone in law enforcement. And so COVID in law enforcement was also that... Um, Um, Black Lives Matter movement, anti-police. So police officers right now, there's a whole, um, you know, people often go into policing and they're very proud about protecting the community. And right now there's this public backlash, you know, against police officers. And so people are now sort of, um, you know, people are filming them and there's this sense that they're the enemy instead of the people helping. And so it's really, really hard, I think, on police officers who really um, probably went into the profession for the right reasons and are really struggling. And um, and their their um, public image has really taken a hit, I would say. Um, and I don't want to get into all the reasons. I, I mean, there's certainly lots of reasons for that. But I think for a police officer themselves, they feel that burden and that pressure and, and feeling... Um, you know, that their, their job has really shifted. For paramedics, they um, are ones that are the first line. They bring people to the hospital and they wait for hours and hours and hours because the hospital can't admit their patients. So they have stressors around that. They have stressors around, you know, seeing people again and again with the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they go in the hospital, they're back out in the, the street and, and feeling that the system has failed these people. Um, so they have unique stressors. In corrections, I was really struck... Um, by that whole system where every day you go into a traumatic situation. The rules are oppressive for um, the inmates and for the staff, and there's lots of incivility um, in that workplace. So there's um, unique stressors, I would say, that I have come to appreciate a little bit more in terms of these really high stress, um, potentially quite traumatic um, workplaces.
2: Right, so zooming out, of course, we would love to be able to prevent psychosocial hazards, and these are environments where um, certainly there are efforts to understand what the psychosocial hazards are and to try to eliminate them where they can. But um, you can't. Um, the healthcare system is is huge. There's lots going on. You talk about like the the moral injury, or no, it's probably not a moral injury, but just the the helplessness that comes when you like. Uh, my wife's cousin's a paramedic and he's visited the same person for an overdose twice in a shift, right? Like it's just that revolving door. And so there's probably lots of hopelessness. And so the peer support is, Hey, we understand each other. And if we provide that, if people are providing that support earlier before mental health, uh, mental health problems really take root is the hope that, Maybe people are building skills and resilience and tolerance as they go along, or is it peer support just prevents the inevitable? Like, what does it do?
1: I think I think it's an important question. I think you know when we talk to people about what do you want to build in an app, because I said it's not going to solve the problems in the system. But one of the things you want to do is to validate people. You know, you're not alone. Um, You know, I think people, you know, a healthcare worker, a public safety provider, maybe they go home and they think, did I do the right thing? Could I have done something more? This is a group that really takes their job seriously. They're they're passionate about their work. And so, you know, for emergency dispatchers, right, they they get these 911 calls. This is very intense experience and they have no idea what happens, right? They don't know what happens to that person because once the, you know, the people arrive on site, they hear nothing. So there's a lot of, you know, you know, what happened or I may go home and be thinking about that. And so being able to talk to someone and and talk it through um, to validate that you're you're not alone, um, that there is help out there. And you're not, again, we have a section for new recruits in the the peer call app because new recruits, again, are new to this position. They don't really know. So again, talking to a mentor or to a peer that can kind of reassure them or say, actually, no, you probably could have done this differently. And this is, you know, you could talk to this person. So again, talking that through and problem solving may be really important and lead to better care ultimately um, as well. So I think there's lots of things to think about in terms of this idea of peer support and, and being able to have someone listen um, mentor, talk through, help people link to other supports. Um, that's really, really important.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah. And so you said earlier, like we need a stepwise approach. Um, there's not one thing that's going to work for everyone. And so peer support is really one sort of small piece in the whole continuum of prevention to, you know, supporting people who are off work. And we started the conversation talking about that there's been a lot of attention paid to how do we support people who are off work and bring them back to work sooner. And you've always had an interest in driving this upstream um, prevention. Um, Because, you know, I I think about, you know, some of the uh, diary studies that are done in research that look at, you know, for people who engage in daily recovery activities, who have that support really early, yeah, problems don't necessarily grow, you know, the whole, you know, um, hills become mountains idea, you know, that things snowball. Um, If we wanted to dive deep into the psychological theory, conservation of resources theory talks about that kind of downward spiral. And so this is really early on when people are feeling strain, but before something really becomes a serious problem.
1: Yeah. And how do I know if I'm struggling? I mean, there's a beautiful video we did a lot of peer wisdom videos in the peer on call app. And there's a beautiful video of a firefighter saying, how did I know? It says, I was struggling. I was mad at everybody and everything. I didn't even like to be with myself. And my family were telling me, you know, this is not you. He says, that's when I knew to reach out. And so we hope that maybe someone will view that video and say, hey, that's me. Um, maybe I need to do something different. So how do we um, get people to be more aware when they might need help? How do we help them to know what to do or what to what to say or do? What happens in peer support? So some videos around, hey, you can talk about anything. Here, here I am. We're, again, really trying to build mental health literacy um, to know kind of how do I know? Um, what do I do or say? Um, where are the resources? How do I? There's a section around resilience. How do I build my own resilience? How do I change the system? How do I help a person, a colleague who I see is struggling? So we think about mobile health platforms are a tool for sharing information, um, as well.
2: Right. So bringing this back down to the organization level, having an organization absolutely endorse this, um, remove barriers to use, um, is, is critical. Yeah. So it, uh, on, the, on the last podcast I host was Carla Neek and, uh, she said, well, you know, shouldn't the employer just like buy a pizza lunch for everyone? Um, you know, as you're talking about peer support and the firefighter who says, I didn't realize something was so wrong, but when I look back, right, and so to hear someone else in, a, I love the title, Pure Wisdom video, um, I'm encouraged that we've gone a long ways. Um, in my practice, once I, I talked with a public safety personality, I don't want to give too many details to, you know, not shame the organization, but uh, they had beer in their vending machine in their staff room. And that was your after call support. Now, in a lot of times, right, like you get a group of people together, you're having a beer um, that you are maybe just sort of unpacking what happened on the shift. And, and that could have been great peer support. But then there was also the idea that alcohol was involved and perhaps that was completely um, masking and um, a different type of coping. Then, of course, these people drove home. Um,
1: we just put a new content in the app called Dry February um and so we have a number of videos talking about substance use cuz it's actually elevated substance use in the PSP community but also in healthcare actually um so again it's a strategy um for numbing or for um or socializing like lots of reasons why there's a maybe a drinking perhaps culture um so how do you, you kind of change that and 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 look at that um yeah
2: No, most certainly. And so, yeah, organizations being able to drive people towards the app and to say, you know what, guys, we do difficult stuff. Um, we're, you know, trying to change how we do difficult stuff. And we want to, you know, get rid of incivility between members in the organization and you know, structures and how we promote. And so there's there's lots of organizational stressors in public safety personnel and healthcare, and that stuff's really well documented. But if there's a way to say, hey, we know it's a difficult environment. We're working on stuff, but in the meantime, we also do difficult things. Our patients, our, our inmates, and whatnot, and let's let's drive the support this way. And so you're seeing a lot of varied uptake. Um, and hopefully then, you know, maybe the research is going to drive and say, hey, look, here were some best practices that happened at this site. We had huge uptake. It wasn't that this was a horrible site where they had a lot of organizational stressors. They had really great uptake because... and." That may encourage the people over here that said, Oh, yeah, we kind of pushed that out by email. We kind of did a couple of things here and there. So you may get some great tips, I guess, for organizations. Say, here's how you can help your folks get support. It's not just the app. We got this golden, beautiful thing, but how you endorse it. So I guess yes. when you look at yeah, <laughs> so when when you look at the future uh for workplace mental health, um You've been involved in workplace mental health for a long time. The round table on mental health was, was, I think, 20 years ago, right? Like, um, you know, our uh, former finance minister, Michael Wilson, uh, chaired that table. And uh, mental health, workplace mental health in Canada has developed um, quite differently, I'd say, than maybe it has in the UK or Australia. So when you look at the, the future of workplace mental health in Canada, what do you sort of hope for?
1: I think the future is bright. We see a shift in people talking about the issues. I think employers are really starting to recognize the importance of that. I think the future is about providing options, the right service, right place, right time. I think technology is a piece of that. Technology is not going away. We need to figure out how to leverage it for good, a tool for good, right? We need to build, I think, trusted, evidence-based tools, There's a real importance of contextually relevant information. So customized to the needs of employees, it needs to be responsive to the context of each workplace. It needs to really be tailored. And you can do that with with technology. Um, I think that's the challenge. Um, For me, you know, every day I hear about people that are struggling. How do we make it easy? How do we make these tools accessible for the people that need it? Um, we need to build sustainable solutions and get them to the people that need them the most. I, I think that's really my wish um, for for the future of mental health, workplace mental health.
2: Right. So if we think about mental health and the way we might think about physical health, um, I've always sort of talked about the mental health continuum. And when people get into the orange and the red, that's kind of like you need first aid. You need to do something about this. Um, this pattern has been around for a few days, a few weeks, longer. Um, so if we could make mental health um, just as routine as grabbing a Band-Aid and some polysporin or something like that, um, that'd be really neat.
1: So I was talking to someone in law enforcement yesterday and she said, now that I've never heard this before, she says, if you have a dentist, you should have a psychologist. Maybe I would say an occupational therapist because I'm an occupational therapist. But if you have a dentist, you have an occupational therapist, someone that you go to regularly for a checkup from the neck up, right? That you kind of build a relationship with a person and you can um, take care of your mental health the way you take care of your teeth, right? It's a great, great line.
2: <laughs> it is, it is. And, you know, that uh, the idea of, you know, a person customizing the support that they access and yeah, like. If they're, they're feeling horrible, someone may say, I go to the naturopath and you know what? I've got some great gut health. All right, that's working for you. Uh, someone else says, you know, I access the peer support probably a couple times a year and it just helps me stay grounded and knowing that I'm not the only one who thought that that situation was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and someone else is like, yeah, you know what? I've had more serious you know problems. There's been like a dog pile of things and I've got a therapist and I work through it really great with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, super. And to do it regularly, regular maintenance, right, of your mental health. So let's say not say peer support a couple times a year. Let's maybe say a couple of times a week, a couple of times a month, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit more often than a couple times a year. Um, maybe not like the dentist. Um, so yeah, I think if you're in a stressful job, maybe you build in these preventative um, touch-based sessions um, to take care of your mental health.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, because everyone's trajectory of of coping and how they're maintaining well-being. Um, is completely, completely different. Yeah. And I love the idea of the, the self-serve nature um, because it removes so many barriers. Um, you know, the, the worst, you know, the biggest where we in the world should be wait list um, because people are like, well, how do I access services? Um, you know, and do I, you know, do I have to wait and see who is covered by my benefit plan? Um, you know, who can see me and, you know, people often talk about, you know, sometimes you need to go through, you know, one or two or three different therapists before you get rapport. Well, if it's in an app and it's on your phone and you're like, okay, great. I can, I can preview here. I've got some information. Good. Help is a
1: click away. It's a click away. Yeah. That's what you want.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, that's great. This has been, this has been a really fascinating um, discussion and I, I love to see where our workplace mental health um, I guess offerings are are evolving because you know there was a sense of you know what we should just do something about mental health and so we need to provide mental health awareness training. And you know what as you know there's been more research around that It's like, well, no mental health awareness training maybe didn't move the needle far enough, but in general, There's more societal awareness. Okay, so where do we need to go next? Okay, should we um, be implementing mental health first aid in our workplace? Is that what we need? Or should we consider a formal peer support program? Um, Should we offer employee resource groups? And so there's becoming a lot of different practices, which maybe they're going to meet the need. Maybe we're going to learn in a little while that they taught us that our need was different and we should do something different. Um, and so I, I'm really excited about the, the field of workplace mental health as well. I sometimes get a little bit worried that there's people um, perhaps advertising things that maybe don't have evidence that maybe aren't going to stand the test of time, though.
1: Yeah, we, we need to study and see what works for whom in what context, right? So different things will work for different people. And we need to understand that not one there's not one answer. Um, That's going to work for everybody. People are different. People have different needs. So we need to build in this idea of customized um, and options and tools in the toolbox um, to make it easy.
2: Right. Well, I love the progression. Then you started out talking about the round table mental health, where you had CEOs and um, leaders of companies saying mental health is important. We acknowledge that people have um, their individual struggles with mental health. Uh, People bring those to the workplace as a workplace we need to be aware of this and compassionate and now we have an app that allows you to connect with people in our organization or other organizations to get early support uh, we're not just banking on this though we have the National Standard of Canada that we're trying to implement or we're using ISO 45003 or we are you know doing what we can to you know eliminate hazards and so we're coming full circle. We're trying to get all those pieces that the WHO talks about. Um, so I, I think it's a really exciting time.
1: Very exciting time. Yeah, and more to come. I think we'll see, right? The I think technology will also drive some of this potentially in a really good way. So we need to think about how to integrate that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, it's been great chatting today and I really appreciate you um, signing on saying, hey, yeah, I'll talk about this.
1: and lovely to chat with you as well. Um, yeah. And I think to be in this really exciting time and see where it takes us. So we have to reconnect maybe in five years from now and, um, think back on, uh, yeah, the history of where we're at at this point in time. Right.
2: So if, um, listeners are interested in following you or kind of keeping up on your research, learning what you're doing, what's the best way for them to uh, connect with you?
1: So there are, so I, I talked about two projects today. So um, Beyond Silence, you can look at our website. It's www.beyondsilence.ca. For the um, the, the uh, public safety personnel, um, you can look at our website. Um, it's oncallapp.ca. Um, and if you go there, there's... Um, a website or there's a web address. I think there's a Beyond Silence um, email and an on-call email. Probably use those. My email, I'm not going to give you mine because I will never respond because my email inbox is too full. Um, But that would be the way, I think, to get hold of us. And um, people monitor that every day and I'm happy to to chat. Yeah.
2: Well, thanks so much for joining us. I think the listeners are going to really enjoy this. And I'll also put those links in the notes um, and show notes so people will have those. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. You have a wonderful day.
1: You too. Take care. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.